Hey, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. This week on our panel, we have Richard C. Tourle. Hallula. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv, and this week we're back with Lars Brink. Lars, long time no see. Good abend. Good abend. Yeah, it's getting toward evening there, right? It's been a long so, day. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, so last time we talked a bunch about the router testing module, and I think we got through a good chunk of stuff, but I think we left off kind of talking about Spectacular, and then there was more to the router testing module that we didn't get to. So so why don't we pick things up there and see see what we haven't covered so far. When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire, they're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com. Yeah, so the initial way you reached out to me was based on this three-part series of articles I have on the router testing module. And mm -hmm. uh, you were you were kind of amazed in the first part, Charles, that the router testing module is part of Angular itself. So it's not something I invented. <laughs> so that's <laughs> that's good to know, right? But that was what kind of amazed me as well, that it's been part of framework forever. And yet no one seems to have figured out or at least not shared in public how to use it. So that's what, what I've been trying to uncover and spend uh, like a year of research uh, perfecting that and figuring it all out. And the three parts are about testing different concepts about an Angular application that has to do with routing and navigation. The first part that which we did discuss last time was that must have been the routing component. So those are the mm -hmm. ones that, for example, the example of the article is uh, the heroes dashboard of the two of heroes tutorial. So when you click on one of the top heroes, you will go to hero detail, route, and component. So that's what we can test here. It's a routing uh, component because you interact with, with it and it will point the user to a different route. So it will navigate away. That makes it a routing component. So that, that's what we covered last time. Mm -hmm. The next part is, well, well, okay. So also important about testing a routing component, what, what you want to test there is that you end up in the right place. Right. And if you do a shallow routing component test, you're going to have to replace some of these navigation services of Angular, like, like the router service. Maybe you'll add some spies and, and check that it has been called with the right arguments and so on. But mm -hmm. what if the user is then using the router link directive? We also discussed that. So, so many things to be aware of, and you're getting really deep into testing implementation details at, at this point. So a, a better approach and the one I would recommend is an integrated routing component test where you use the router testing module. So to do this, you will add, for example, a default route for the component you're testing. So the one that is a routing component, 
And then you add a target route, which is the one it's pointing at, and you put in a fake component here just for the sake of testing. So you can detect whether the expected route has been activated by that component. So that is uh, like the routing component test in a nutshell. And the, the router testing module makes that easy if you know how to configure it. So you will have to pass mm -hmm. two uh, route uh, configurations to it. So, and to verify it, you will use the location service. It has this path method. And you can say, for example, the location path is now uh, forward slash detail, forward slash uh, the ID of whatever hero we click on the dashboard. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yep. Yeah, I mean, you're just essentially testing to make sure that, yeah, the location is set to the right thing. And then you're also looking to make sure that, the yeah, your test component showed up that it got turned on, basically. Yes, its route was activated. So mm -hmm. that is looking at the scope of this one routing component. So another slightly different type of component or trade of a component is a routed component. And as uh, I believe Sani was saying last time, that is the target of a route. That's a routed component. So uh, where we start at a routing component, and then we click, for example, the, this dashboard, Heroes dashboard, then we end up at the de hero detail component. And that's an example of a routed component because it's the target of, of a route. And typically it could involve, as is the case here, it could involve the activated route service because it needs to access this route parameter. The ID mm -hmm. is a dynamic route parameter. So that's for like the ID of, of this hero that we want to show the details of. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the example I have in this second part of, of the article series. Mm -hmm. So do you have any suggestions for what we might uh, want to test? Uh, um, I'm just thinking, just looking at uh, the two different parts or the different components, the routing component and the routed component. And I can imagine a scenario where even the, the, the routed component also has a link either back to the previous component or to a subsequent uh, routed component. Um, does that play or does that add into the complexity of, of testing these components? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Because the, this example here, the hero detail component, it has a back button, mm -hmm. which goes back to the previous route, or maybe it's always the dashboard, but maybe it's also the heroes component. So that also makes this both the routed component because it's the target of a route, but also a routing component because it navigates to some other page. <laughs> and right. then, yeah, you're asking like, what, is it, is it turtles all the way down? They all the way down. Like, is it? It's routes, routing components, and routed components. Yeah, and that's right. And that's why, well, beyond these three articles, you can take it a step further, and that's kind of an example of what spectacular feature testing API we also discussed um, uh, last time. What that can can make easy because then you can include or scope your test for uh, multiple components and routes. And you can have one test case going through all these steps of, of navigation, or you can have like one step and then an assertion for each test case, but sharing the same uh, test setup, uh, which is uh, relatively easy with the, the spectacular feature harness. So yeah, that, that's taking it another step. That's what I call a feature test. But right now in these articles, you're focusing on just one component at a time and focusing in on this is a routed component, this is a routing component, how, how do I test that part of this component? 
correspondence right. and do other things than just navigation. But how do I test this navigation part of it? Yeah, well, I guess just to uh, to go back to your question, to think of what could possibly be tested in the routed component, I would imagine, obviously, you want to ensure or assert that the passed-in ID matches the ID of the routed, routed component or something along those lines, right? Yeah, because thinking about it, say we pass it an idea or an ID through the, the route, so through the URL, what would be the result of that? What would the component be able to display? It's a hero detail component. Mm. What might it be able to display based on, on receiving that route parameter? Or rather, what would uh, normally be happening in like a, we call a, a master detail view like this? Mm. I would imagine some sort of data that's uh, it's passed on from the, uh, I like to think of it of a top bottom sort of uh, architecture or structure. Um, it will be some sort of, uh, details, uh, for example, the ID of that hero uh, would need to be also be, uh, be present in the rooted component. Yeah, something like that. So what what is like the data flow or the control flow here? You enter this component, it gets, okay, in this example, uh, it's, it's the ID of 15 or one mm. or something. What could it be doing from then? Like, how does it, what does it need to do to display its template. I'm just thinking perhaps, yeah, I guess there's, there's quite a number of things involved there, but I'm, I'm going a little bit blank now. I haven't looked into this part of the, <laughs> but in a while, yeah. but yeah. So, I mean, so usually- I'm, I'm just yeah. imagining it uses some kind of data service or maybe pulls it from a data store, right? And then updates the data store possibly, or maybe it just doesn't end run over HTTP, right? And then just has the data around somehow. And then, it, yeah, it puts it into the component. And so typically that's going to involve a back end, but I don't really want to test my back end <laughs> with my component. Yeah. So I'm guessing you're going to dummy some of that up. Did, did I miss anything that you were aiming for or go way off the rails? I don't know. Oh, that, that's exactly right. And the example component here, this hero detail component from the Two of Heroes tutorial, it both displays the name of this hero, the ID mm. of this hero, and you can even change the name of this hero on this detail page. Oh, right. And we're also getting into that, like replacing some state in in a store, a data store, maybe synchronizing into a server. But all of those features or traits of this component, those are separate tests, and they they don't really have to do with much with routing and navigation. Mm -hmm. So, from the perspective of this is a routed component, we're interested in passing it a route parameter. So the, that's the ID here. Mm -hmm. And then we're interested in seeing, okay, so if it gets the, the data and we're controlling what data it gets, we don't have to have a backend. We can just replace the service it's using, say a hero service or something. But what does the user see then? That's the question. If we're testing as a user, we're navigating to this page and it gets the data, what's happening then? Um, are you are you are you looking at it from the visual uh, perspective, from the UI perspective? Because then, obviously, if you're navigating away from a routing component, then the you the, the from a user perspective, from a UI perspective, you would then be shown the new or the rooted component or the rooted uh, UI. That's purely right. from a UI perspective, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And this was what what we were basically testing in in the routing component. Mm. We click an element on the page, 
And now we're in a different path, which means right. now we have a different component active. So now we're at this place, we have the detail, hero detail component active. And what do we see as a user? Well, I guess for one, the URL would be different, right? Because um, you'll then be on the, on the new activated, on the currently activated URL. Yeah, but we're when we're focusing in on one component here, we are actually controlling the URL. So we're saying, okay, the ah, URL right. is slash detail slash 15 for the 15, uh, ID of 15. Uh, so what does it, what does the component look like when it's rendered to the DOM here? Just whatever the HTML renders out to, right? Yes. So why, how would we put ourselves in the user's shoes? How would we know we're on the details page and we loaded the data? We check the DOM. Yeah, what would we be checking for? I guess the <laughs> the selector of the rooted component uh, mm -hmm. that it exists in the in the DOM. So does a user know about components? From a user perspective, of course not. He wouldn't be seeing any of that. But I guess, like I said, mentioned, it would be if purely just from the visuals, we the user would now see this new hero and its details. Exactly. So we might see the hero's name, for example, and maybe the mm -hmm. ID, as is the case here. So right. that's what, when we take the test as a user approach, uh, we're not worrying about what is the component being rendered, which service is being used. Mm. Um, instead, we're inspecting the DOM, the, the rendered DOM of this component template uh, to see that, yeah, given the right data through that service and given uh, matching route parameter, the ID, then we're seeing the name of the hero, we're seeing that ID, mm -hmm. because that's what's important to the user. So, so that's what makes up the part of the, the, that component being routed, that it's depending on this route parameter, the ID, and then it's, it's getting all that data and, and we're setting up a test to see that, yeah, it can get that data. Maybe there is another test for, okay, what if there's a network error, what will the user see then? But this is this happy path here. Mm -hmm. uh, we're loading the data and now we're seeing the name of that hero. So that, that would be a, a routed component test. One thing that I'm wondering about is what if there are multiple routed comp components, right, for that same path? So for example, it loads up like some primary UI routed area that shows all the hero data, but then I've got like some other area that might show some hero stats or some options on the hero or something like that. Do you just test those separately? Okay, so so this is the case of, of having like a child view components, for example, mm -hmm. because of course, how many components you have depends on like how big are your components. And, and in some cases we might want to split components into smaller components because there's a lot of functionality. We want to encapsulate some of that or the presentation separate from the interactions and so on. And yeah, that, like uh, that would be okay to to like render the whole component template all the way like no matter how deep it is that, that's that's an integrated component test uh, whereas we could stop at this component template and not render child components that would be a shallow mm -hmm. component mm -hmm. test right and uh, i guess I, Mm -hmm. uh, no, I think I think uh, you're answering a different question than what I'm asking. It, okay. Not specifically child components, but let's say that you update and show the hero, but you also change something in the menu, right? So you you put oh. another component in for the menu because that's the way your app works. I don't know why you would do this, but you see, so you're you have two targets, I guess, for that get updated when you route. Yeah. So 
those are uh, really like how can I say they those are it seems like those would be separate parts of the applications uh, mm -hmm. so they're not I wouldn't consider them part of the same feature right most likely uh, mm -hmm. so I would probably not have a, a scope uh, a test that has that big of a scope uh, okay too, so you would test them separately. Scope. if you wanted to have that in the same test you should uh, probably do it using an end-to-end -end, uh, test yeah yeah, I was thinking more along those lines as well. I guess my, I mean, with uh, just going with the line of thinking uh, there is, so at what point do you think or start to consider whether to use or to mock out or using different words to fake the, the component versus using the real component mm -hmm. um, and faking out some of the services? Is there like some sort of a heuristic that you can use to determine which to use and when? Yeah, I I try to render out. I usually try to render out the component and all of its uh, children, unless it makes the test unreasonably slow. But mm -hmm. recent versions of Angular has made the tests, the test based tests, much faster. So the component tests. Uh, so it's it's usually not a problem. So I like to use this pattern called scams, single component Angular <laughs> modules, and that makes it. Uh, quite easy to test them because you import the scam, then you have access to the component and rendering all of its its child components and their descendants. Well, that's that's another key uh, hot word, <laughs> scam. Sorry, do do you mind just <laughs> uh, you just it's threw a, in a word out of the out of nowhere? Yeah, it's, a, it's a term I I actually coined a couple of years ago. It's mm -hmm. a pattern that I discovered. I'm not the inventor. I discovered mm. it and I I coined it. I started speaking about it and uh, wrote articles about it. And yeah, what do you know? Other people were also doing it. So <laughs> I discovered it. I didn't invent it. Uh, right. It seems obvious. So scam, a single component Angular module. <laughs> like I have I have two one, one plus hour podcast episodes on another show just mm -hmm. talking about scams and optional NG modules. And that was from 2020. So you can get a lot more details there. But yeah, scam, a scam is concerned only about a single component, hence the name. So and a typical example of a scam would be they're kind of presentational mod Angular modules. So mm -hmm. they will declare this one component and they will Im import other scams for the components and directives and pipes, which are all the declarable dependencies of this one component. So looking at its template, uh, which uh, declarables do I need access to to render this template? So it's a very uh -huh. granular uh, Angular module compared to just shoving everything in one junk module. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's quite interesting. And I mean, I've, I've heard rumors, I was looking at the roadmap from the Angular team recently, and there was the talk of toying with the idea of making modules optional <laughs> yeah and i'm sure you've also seen 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 that so i mean i guess my question is what do you feel what do you think about when you hear something like that i mean does it change the way that you currently doing things and how you how, how you if that becomes a reality um will that really affect the way that you currently architect your applications yeah so two important things about that well they so optional ng modules is something the Angular team was talking about even more than two years ago. Mm -hmm. And then Ivy was delayed. So it kind of <laughs> went out <laughs> of scope. But mm -hmm. now it's back on the roadmap. 
So we might, uh, they will, or they will most likely be working on it at some point. Maybe they have even started now. But it's important to know that we will never probably, most likely we will never be able to build an entire Angular application without any Angular modules. What they are looking into when they say optional NG modules is about declarables. So it's about what's called the compilation scope of a component. So th that's what I was just talking about, like looking at one component's template, which declarable dependencies does it have or does it need to render those uh, elements and pipes and, and the directive selectors? Mm. Uh, so, so SCAMS is actually a migration path towards, if you're architecting your app with SCAMS, single component Angular modules, uh, you'll have a, a nice experience migrating to what they call optional uh, NG modules, or it's also known as standalone components. And, mm. and we have this concept of being able to lazy load a component without a module. Mm. And that's kind of a half-baked solution at this point. It doesn't support everything you expect from Angular components. So it's not really a feature yet, but that's what they're they will try to finish with this, what they call the optional NG modules that will make it you able to, to like uh, lazy load code in the scope of a component and have it render its, its, uh, its view with child components and directives and pipes and all of that without any Angular module inside. So, so just looking at one component, you can, you can pass that around and you can render it without Angular modules. You can compile it without Angular modules, but we're still going to need Angular modules for things like routing and mm -hmm. the injector and bootstrapping and schemas yeah. and these, these other things. So that's not looking to, to go away or become optional. Uh, it's only looking at, at declarable dependencies for components, uh, which brings other uh, benefits like standalone components lazy loading a component without the module mm. wow that's yeah yeah actually i was just sort of queuing you up for for this next question so i have actually read and, and listened to a couple of those podcasts where you spoke about scams um it was a couple of months ago i was at an airport actually i probably killed all of the episodes <laughs> in that short space of time <laughs> i think you were with santosh in, uh, santosh in one of the episodes but anyway about my point my, my question is basically just going back to the Angular team and, and what they're working on, what would you like to see coming out of the Angular core team sooner rather than later? <laughs> um, <laughs> I try not to have any expectations so that I will only be pleasantly surprised because <laughs> I was excited about optional NG modules two years ago mm -hmm. and they're still not here. So yeah, <laughs> they have been working a lot on what I would consider technical depth of uh, Ivy and Ivy or view engine is still not gone. They're moving towards uh, removing it. And there's still a few parts of the code base and runtime. And uh, an important part is the, the ecosystem of Angular libraries and how they're going to transition from view engine compiled libraries into what's now known as the partial Ivy compilation. So yeah, they, they should just, that's, it's important to, get that all done so that we can move forward from there. Yeah. On. Yeah. We should just continue focusing on that. Uh, that that's what we need. It's taking a lot of time. Yeah. Several years. 
and <laughs> we're still true. not there yet. So <laughs> let's just get to that point, and then we can <laughs> see what's important. Uh, well, but another interesting part is, well, I think they should do the the what they call the optional ng modules, but standalone components. They should mm -hmm. finish that story as well. That would be great. Mm. And then something like so they had these experimental functions called uh, mark dirty and detect changes uh, mm -hmm. that were independent of components so they could accept as parameters any component uh, but they're still experimental like they, they were also out of scope of working on stuff because of, of ivy being delayed all that time mm -hmm. but a library called rx angular by michael Lotke that most of us probably know and love yep. <laughs> Michael, that is, that is doing some very interesting work into configuring and optimizing the rendering of your Angular application. So when a library can do that, mm. Angular should be able to do that and even better. They have basically, Michael and his team have implemented uh, what React has as a feature called, yeah, what is called con concurrent rendering. And that's optimizing the rendering, rendering for smaller batching smaller changing changes rather than the whole thing at a time and then blocking the UI basically. Right, so right. so you, you can get very granular about optimizing the, the, the change detection and, and rendering of your Angular application where there's a bottleneck. Or you can just use right. it as a strategy for a whole app if you bake it in from the beginning. Mm. So yeah, that, that's really interesting. And I, I hope that's something they can look into as well. All right, I'm going to steer us back onto the path of testing routing. <laughs> so, so we yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated, so I'm just sitting here going, I'm like, I'm like, oh, I could listen to this all day, but yeah. Um, yeah, maybe we should just come back around to this on another episode. Right. Um, I'm, I'm all for I, that. I did want to get back to the, the shallow routed component tests. Is there a particular way that you set those up, or is it literally just pulling in a scam mm -hmm. instead of pulling in a fully baked component? Yeah, so you'll be pleasantly surprised by the Angular testing guides. They're, they're pretty good uh, for some of this stuff. Not the router testing module yet. Maybe someone will, will pick it up and uh, I'll be happy to, to support. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this is one of the parts that is covered good enough for to get started. So it does mention like um, stopping out a component to do shallow component tests. Mm -hmm. So that's where you would you could set well the easiest way to do a shallow component test is setting the compilation schema to no errors schema or the custom elements schema because then it will happily compile and render your template even though it doesn't know what all these elements mean all these uh, typically Angular components uh, but also pipes and directives so it will just put it in as normal HTML. Uh, of course, the browser won't recognize them, so they will just do nothing, basically. And that's, sometimes that's good enough because you, you can reach the parts of your template that has the interactions um, that are directly coupled to this component rather than the child components. So, so that's how you would do a shallow component. Route. The, the easy way is uh, this compilation schema, schema, but you can also do it like selectively saying, this child component, for example, I don't want to render that in my test. So I will replace it with a stopped component. So a test double component that has this, it might have the same selector, for example, mm. that's one way to do it. 
or you could override the, the metadata in the Angular testing module so that it, when it sees that selector, it, it knows right now that it should render that, com that child component, but you'll tell it to render a blank testing component instead. So th those are kind of a few options you have for the shallow component tests. And then the integrated component test, yeah, scams is one way. And if you're, you don't have scams, if you have more of a, a mo one module to rule them all or one mm -hmm. angular module per feature or something like that, then you're going to have to uh, scan through your template for this component to figure out all the declarable dependencies and then declare them or import their modules in the Angular testing module, where we say test that configure testing module. Yeah. I mean, with that approach, I mean, you you almost are not guaranteed, but by declaring them in, the, in, in that uh, test module, then you basically have access to pretty much everything that you need, right? In, in, in those in, the, in that component yeah but then the benefit of a scam is you don't have to repeat yourself and you don't mm. have to pick out oh this component is used for my component not for the other components in this module so so that that's that's one of the reasons why a scam is, is really nice for for this thing and and for other things so yeah you're you can declare them you i mean you have to or it will give you compilation errors mm. or you can import it a component's scam and, and importantly about a scam, it doesn't have any providers. So it's only about declarable dependencies. All right. So we're talking directives, pipes, com other components. And... Yes, exactly. Okay. So I think that's all we need for the routed components. So we did that with the, so the difference between say a shallow routed component, I think you also have like an integrated routed component. I mean, what's the difference there? Hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to remember. I should, I might have to open the article myself to remember then. Well, the, this concept of shallow component test and integrated com or integration component test, it's a concept that doesn't, it's not specifically about routed components. It's mm -hmm. in general, when testing a component using the mm. test bed, you have to decide on one of these two options, or you could do a really traditional isolated unit test where you use it as a class rather than a class with a template. And that that can make sense for what we call container components, where it's not about rendering anything. It's about getting data and mapping it for a presentational component, for example. So it's just one of uh, multiple options for testing a component, not necessarily routed uh, component. Gotcha. So, but yeah, the things to be aware about for routed component is, do you want to use the, the router testing module to set up these testing routes? Or do you want to replace the, some of the, the, the router API from Angular with test doubles, which is really a lot of work. <laughs> so, so again, I would recommend use the router testing module. You can basically use my article as a recipe because mm. uh, yeah, how, how I'm setting up the router testing module, passing it one route, that's it. That, that's, that will mostly be what you need for testing the routed aspect of your component. Yeah. And then you have an integrated component test, even to the point that you're integrating it with the router service and, and all of its related uh, APIs. Hey folks, if you love this podcast and would like to support the show or 
If you wish you could listen without the sponsorship messages, then you're in luck. We're setting up new premium podcast feeds where you can get all of the episodes released after Christmas 2020 without the ads. Signing up will help us pay for editing and production, and you can go sign up at devchat.tv slash premium. Yeah, now you see now as you as you're talking now, uh, Lars, I'm just actually starting to see exactly <laughs> your pain of this rather for, for the lack of the detailed documentation around this. And I guess it's part of the reason why you went on to take on this task and 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 do some some uh, research and 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 implementation that as we're talking about right now. And yeah, the more we talk about it, the more I see this could actually make your life a little bit easier, uh, a whole lot easier actually, but you also need that guidance, right? You need that documentation to be, to help you along the way. But yeah, for now we've got Lars. So <laughs> there you go. Guys. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, last time I mentioned that what I'm working for on right now for Spectacular is documentation. And I've gotten to the point now that I have an introduction page for each API and for the library as a whole. And I think that that's a good start. So I might merge that pull request. It's already deployed to GitHub pages. I'll be tweeting about it once it's it's finally published, but you can already go find it right now if you're clever and know GitHub pages. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's a starting point. Then I'm going to be going into like separate use cases, having a page per use case and about the detail of each topic there. It should be enough to get you started it also, because it also has the API reference. So, but that goes into, the, or the approach I took there is to first show you the pain of using the test bed directly <laughs> and then showing how spectacular makes that all easier, makes the pain go away. <laughs> but specifically about the feature testing API, this uh, feature test harness, it explains what a feature test is because that's that's a new concept here. That's not something we've seen before, at least I haven't. So if it has been out there before, it's in private, in, in enterprises that are not doing knowledge sharing in the public. Shame on you. <laughs> you know, or you're too busy, or I don't know. Or you don't right. like. I, I'm all for open knowledge, so and open learning and learning in public. So that's why I do these things, and also so that I can reference it myself later on when I forget forget all yeah. forget all of this. Because then then it's like I can, it's dumped out of my brain into mm -hmm. the, the web for everyone <laughs> to enjoy. And hopefully, it can serve as an inspiration both for Angular documentation on this topic but also as a whole new approach for tests here. Uh, yeah. This feature test is, is really the unique part, and it's not even mentioned in these articles. It's kind of missing a fourth part here, uh, but mm. those were like the foundation of getting to the point of doing feature tests. That, that's what, that was my end goal all along, but I had to take these three steps first, and mm. then I, I built upon that, and then the result is, spectacular yeah so right yeah speaking of open education and and open source and all of that before uh chuck pulls me right back into the conversation let me just ask one more question <laughs> <laughs> because as i mentioned i, I had so many questions i've, I've interacted with last before uh, before this so i've got some some stuff loaded up questions as well but before that uh, before i move away from this topic is i remember I, I don't remember exactly which part i think it was spectacular 
documentation, uh, the little that you've got now, you spoke about a little bit about testing the app initializer. Mm. Can you just r refresh my memory a bit and just maybe talk about how you can test that and, and how Spectacular helps you to test that? Yes, you know what? Let me uh, let me find let me paste the link to the spectacular documentation for you mm. here in the chat. So it's at ngworker.github.io forward slash ngworker in one word. Mm. So if you go to the docs there and find the application testing introduction, you'll actually see examples of how to test both application initializers and bootstrap mm -hmm. listeners with the Angular test bed. So, uh -huh. so like I said, um, first I'm showing the pain of mm -hmm. testing with the test bed. And this one is interesting in particular because it turns out that you're not even able to test one of these things. Let me see which one it is. Yeah, bootstrap listeners, we can't test those with the test bed because the test bed doesn't bootstrap an Angular module. It has its own Angular testing module, but it never bootstraps anything. Mm. And this is the part of what's called the platform API of Angular, where when you bootstrap a module, it goes and sets what we might consider part of the Angular runtime, things like the application life cycles and some, uh, some the change detection cycle, all of that is initialized as part of bootstrapping a module. Mm. So yet another reason that most likely we won't see totally in, uh, module free application in Angular because they're tied into so many parts of, of Angular itself. Uh, all the things that magically makes Angular work are tied to modules currently. And there's no near future or even far future <laughs> of, of removing that. But yeah, about as you, you can read this documentation, you can see that we can test application initializers, both synchronous ones and asynchronous ones. But when we use that same technique for testing the bootstrap listeners, we find out we find out that they're not being run no matter how hard we try. So I solved that with Spectacular. I had to uh, strap on some additional thingies that you fortunately don't have to worry about. Uh, but I, I got the inspiration in the one of the Angular routing, or what was it? One of the Angular integration tests. Oh, it was probably about bootstrapping or something. So I got mm. the inspiration there. I built, I expanded upon it, and and put it behind this uh, convenient API. So you can use the same API for both testing the application initializer and the bootstrap listeners, no matter if they're async or synchronous but you have to wait wait for the promise returned by this test harness. Then you'll have a reference to the harness and all your bootstrap listeners and your initializers would have run. Mm, okay, I see that. So, but you're not using any internals of Angular, right? In, in that? No. Not, okay. No. Yeah, so just a bit about that, what's going on. It's creating some elements in the DOM and then tying yeah, kind of boot start kicking off the bootstrap process and tying it to that element that we have in the DOM or in a virtual DOM in the case of, of Jest. Right. So, but all of that is hidden away. You don't have to worry about it. But if you try to test this with the test bed, you would be surprised to see that it's not even possible. 
Oh, it's very neat. I'm, I'm so that was the yeah. application testing API part of uh, Spectacular. All right. Cool. Cool stuff. I'll dig into this uh, afterwards. Very yeah, I think we have to hurry back <laughs> to the, the first topic, route guards. So what yeah. do you say, Charles? <laughs> I was going to say, let's let's do some route guards and then see where we land. Yeah. Okay. So this is the final part currently of uh, the router testing module article series. Route guards, uh, we talked about them in part one as well. Uh, they're usually mm -hmm. most commonly used for authorization, authentication. But we also discussed something like onboarding. You had an example, Richard, from some of your cross-platform apps or something, right? Yeah, that's correct. And Sani had an example from healthcare or something like that, uh, mm -hmm. where he was checking, for example, the password strength of the user. And if it wasn't secure, they would be redirected to a, uh, a separate page, a security profile page or whatever. That's that's odd examples of things that can be controlled and checked with route guards. The thing about route guards is they use these very complex data structures from the router APIs. They, for example, use something like activated route snapshot, the route type, the router state snapshot, and URL trees. And if you've ever tried to test some of this in isolation, you would quick, quickly realize that these are really hard to create fake versions of, especially since even if you manage to, to fake these data structures and and pass them into a route guard as a class, if you're testing mm -hmm. it as a class in isolation, <laughs> they're supposed to change whenever you route. So mm -hmm. that first fake object you're creating, as soon as you interact with, with the router or navigator or something like that, you would have to change them again. <laughs> and then you give up. <laughs> this, this was what this was part of what was being discussed in that uh, issue where uh, Victor Sapkin was chiming in all these years ago when he was on the Angular team, and it's been an open issue ever since. So it must be a really early one. Mm. And they were discussing like, do we do we need or should we make official APIs for faking some of these data structures? And that, that's an interesting question, right? Mm. My take on it is you use the router testing module. <laughs> <laughs> so then we get into the problem here of how do I use the router testing module? And not to worry, I figured it out for you. So in that article, there's actually recipes for testing all kinds of almost all the different types of route guards. As you might know, they have different uh, interfaces that they implement, things like can load, and can mm -hmm. activate, can activate children, and a few others. Yeah. Well, so I guess my question would be that you've managed to get around those um, restrictions or your know, difficulties. And what would you say was the single most difficult thing to wrap your head around before coming to this uh, solution? Well, the most important learning here is that you you can use the real data structures because the router is creating them. It's a mm. really complex hierarchy of all of these structures and states that are being maintained by the router. And we access them through different hooks in Angular mm -hmm. uh, that are used, for example, for these route guards. So don't try to fake them. It's too much work. And... Yeah, you might not even get it right. 
<laughs> so they use the router testing module because then you're using the actual data structures and it's not that hard to do, of course, when as soon as you have a recipe to do it. That that's the like that's the the thing here to realize is yeah. Um, Makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. For example, when I say what did I do in the example, it was an off guard for uh, from the one of the Angular tutorials from Angular IO. So it had several of these uh, interfaces. Which which one did it have? I don't I don't really remember. But I I used the router testing module to insert both a test login component, which um, which would be the one you're redirected to if you are not authenticated at all. Mm-hmm. And then I add a test root component or a test app component. You could also call it. Because we that's that's one of the most important things about using the, the router testing module. Uh, when you call the with routes static method, it's like calling for root router module for root in your application. So so just like normally when using testbed, great component, then we're passing it a what essential is the root component for this this test. Right. So, so normally the test you're like the component you're testing is not usually the root component of your application, but for the purpose of a test, it is the root component. And the same with routes here, we need a root component which has a router outlet uh, mm. to use the router testing module. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So I'm inserting a, a root component with a router outlet. I'm also inserting or declaring that test login component. Mm-hmm. Which will be the will have the, the the route that you're redirected to in this by this off guard, and then uh, adding a test target component, which will be the protected route. So the one that I'm applying this uh, route guard to, with all of these. So I'm I'm testing all these different. Yeah, let's see here. I'm testing the can load hook, the can activate hook, and the can activate child. And then I ha- I'm inserting the target component into a child route, and the, the guard is actually in a route without a component. We can have a, a route with path, it can have route guards, and it can have this children uh, array of components or routes with components. Mm. So we can introduce to the route hierarchy, the route configuration, an empty route that has no component, but it has route guards, and then it has children. That's what it's protecting using the can activate child. Right. Hmm. So I'm testing all of these things with an actual route configuration by using the router testing module. Yeah, that was kind of the, the breakthrough for me that yeah, this is the, the best way to do it, in my opinion. It, hmm. The tests are fast, and you don't have to muck around with all these very complex data structures. You can let the router create and maintain them for you. And you can even see what does it look like to use the guard in a route configuration, which is also helpful rather than just calling it as a class. Because now you have Angular calling those hooks, the methods of your route guard without you like explicitly calling them, Angular is doing it because it's triggering these uh, route uh, lifecycle moments. Right. Hmm. Wow, it sounds very, sounds very interesting. I'll definitely dig into that. I'll eat it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah, and cool. it was, and there were some details about like how can I, how can I test, how can I test all these hooks 
and, and how can I, what do I assert here? Uh, once again, this article kind of has some recipes that, that you can follow since I'm, I'm testing most of them here. So, so this test suite, for example, in, in the article, it has a part for what happens when the user is logged in. Uh, well, it should allow access to a guarded route, uh, mm -hmm. no matter which hook it's using. It should also allow access to a lazy loaded feature module. That's something you were asking about last time. Yeah. So this is where I've, I figured out how to do that in a test. And, and then there's a others, the other section, which is usually the most interesting one, is what happens when the user is locked out. So they're not authenticated. All right. So you, so you test all those different paths. Here. Yeah. So again, I test all the, the different hooks and assert a few things like, well, the, this off guard is doing a lot of, of weird stuff to, to, to kind of simulate mm -hmm. what you might do. Mm. Also, some crazy things that you would never do, but um, I'm not one to give up. So I wanted to test all of these, <laughs> these different things, <laughs> and that that is quite. That's like that was the benchmark for spectacular. Was if I can test uh, like most of the aspects of the two of heroes routing tutorial. It goes into all the all the little details about routing and navigation in Angular. It's demonstrating all of that in a, a very extensive tutorial. So I figured if I can test that with Spectacular, then it's a good testing library. Yeah, that was that was the, the benchmark. As soon as I could do that, I tried converting it or started converting it into a library so that it's a reusable pattern rather than a one-off test suite for for this feature. And another good achievement there was if you go into the spectacular code base, you will find that I actually added the two of heroes routing tutorial. It's called the crisis center feature. Mm -hmm. uh, I added that to my monorepo and I mm -hmm. tested with spectacular, but there's no app. There's no app uh, rendering or routing to this component. There's only this Angular library with that feature inside of it exposed through the public API. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is quite interesting because all of a sudden you can test a whole Angular feature without ever seeing it in an app in the DOM. <laughs> so now you can wow. test, you can, you can create features in isolation because you proved that it works yeah. through your tests and you can even turn them into libraries uh, maybe lazy load them, maybe turn them into kind of micro front ends or some some sort of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds extremely powerful. A spectacular in, is, if I'm not mistaken, is framework agnostic, right? Yeah, that's another benefit. You can use it with Jasmine. You can use it with Karma. You can use it with Jest or Mocha. Everything out there. Of course, it needs to support Angular Testbed. But as, as soon as it does that, um, Spectacular works. So something like uh, Spectator, which is, again, is, is a very good testing library, probably the best Angular testing library that does the most things. That started out only supporting uh, Karma and Jasmine. But then, of course, people were asking, well, what about Jest? Mm. That's also a popular testing uh, library, even for Angular these days. Yeah. So I I was involved in that process of adding a Jest API for Spectator. But that leaves the question, what if I'm using another test runner? Not a lot of people are with Angular, but who knows in the future, right? 
So Absolutely. yeah, Spectacular is independent of the test runner, the test framework. So yeah, it, it will work with Jest, it will work with Karma, Jasmine. And if you can figure out how to make it work, uh, Angular test bit work with Mocha, it will also work there. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one, so one benefit that uh, Spectacular has over end-to-end -end test frameworks is you can use it with any Angular application, no matter which test runner you might be using, you can use Spectacular. Whereas with an end-to-end -end testing framework, that might get replaced someday, or you might join a new project, a new team, and they're using another end-to-end -end testing framework. So you can start using spectac Spectacular immediately without having to learn that end-to-end -end testing framework because testbed tests always work no matter the test runner, the test framework. Right. Spectacular and all the other Angular testing libraries, they all use testbed behind the scenes. Mm, I see, right. So your knowledge is directly transferable when you join a new team, you can hit the ground running mm. and they will be faster than end-to-end -end tests. So <laughs> th those are some of the benefits. Of course, they, they are a bit more technical uh, than end-to-end than -end tests, but Spectacular tries to bridge that gap and combine it with Angular testing library and you have a really, really strong tool chain for, for these kind of tests. Cool, cool stuff. Uh, we'll definitely check it out. Yeah, I'm just looking at some of the stuff you've got in the documentation. I mean, it's it's good stuff that you would love to have out of the box from the Angular framework. But yeah, maybe we'll get there one day. Yeah. So my goal is yeah. to have people start doing feature tests for Angular. Because mm -hmm. then you don't have to worry about which components do I have, which route guards do I have, which services do I have, which routes do I have you're testing a feature, like you're scoping your test setup to an entire feature and everything is tested almost end to end, almost as close as you can get to the real application without starting up an entire application. So that's kind of the, that's what I I wanted. And that's what I needed <laughs> when I joined <laughs> that, that project I was talking about last time. Uh, so yeah, Spectacular is the, the library I, I needed back then and mm. now it's here for, for everyone to, <laughs> to hopefully enjoy right cool yep. stuff. all right well i think we're kind of uh toward picks here before we go to picks do you want to just remind people where to connect with you online me yeah i'm on twitter uh, my full name is lars jirup brink nilsson and my twitter handle and github as well is lazy dk l-a-y-z-e-e dk because I'm lazy and I'm from Denmark. <laughs> no, <laughs> the whole story, but it kind of fits as well, right? Right. <laughs> so like yeah, the, find find me on Twitter. I'm quite active there, and my my work, my content, you can find that on Dev too. So yeah, my DMs are open on Twitter. Uh, ask me anything, or ask me to join uh, the community for this is learning the community of public tech contributors. Yeah, and he really means it. Uh, his DMs are really open. Um, <laughs> I remember, I, think, <laughs> I, I, I once picked his, picked his brain on, on some other technical issue and he was very helpful and, yeah, and I mean, it didn't really take long to respond to it and I was quite impressed. Yeah, it just saddens me a little bit that we didn't get to talk a little bit about this is Angular, which is, I think it's a very interesting community over there 
But yeah, maybe another show, part three. <laughs> we will see. Uh, Chuck, I think we also almost run out, run out of time, right? Yeah, we're getting pretty close. So okay. this is Angular. Yeah, that's something else that I want to talk about. But we can definitely talk tackle that. It, it will be a part one. It'll be just about this is Angular. But yeah. yeah, definitely happy to have you back anytime, Lars. Let's go ahead and do some picks. Hey, folks. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been working a lot on figuring out how to help people become the most valuable developers on their teams or becoming the top 5% of developers in the field. If you're looking to level up, figure out how to contribute more, get the career you want, get the career that you want that will support the lifestyle you want, then you should check out the Most Valuable Dev Summit. I've invited some of my friends across the community, people that you've heard of, people that have worked on systems that you use on a daily basis, people who have invented new ways of doing things over the years in programming, And I've asked them one question, and that question is, how do you become a top 5% developer? How do you become one in 20 of the best developers out there? And so we're going to go ahead and have that conversation with them in interviews on the Most Valuable Dev Summit. And you can find that at summit.mostvaluable.dev. Do you have some picks for us, Richard? Yes, today I just have one. And the reason why I could not think of anything else was because my mind has been so preoccupied with it for, well, actually, the last couple of months because I did a tech talk internally in, our, in, in, in the company that I work for. Um, we do these tech talks and we, we, you know, we spread the knowledge amongst teams and so forth. And it's about GitLab uh, pipelines. I'm I really I'm really enjoying GitLab. Um, in fact, I've been using it for, for a couple of years now. But yeah, I just want to just pick that and say, just I mean, from the great documentation that they've got, and to the the power that they it enables teams really. I mean, I built uh, my team built a merge request process around the GitLab pipelines, and we continue to augment it with more features as they release it. Um, as you might be aware that um, GitLab is partly open source, so you do have a free tier, tier and, but it still offers you a plenty of lot that you can do there. So if you've never heard of it or you've never tested it or checked it out, um, yeah, I'll urge you to check it out to GitLab. And that's my pick. Yeah, GitLab's pretty cool. I've used both their version that they host and the community version that you can host. Mm-hmm. And it's it's pretty cool stuff. So definitely uh, shout out to them. Uh, yeah. I'm going to throw in a few picks. The first one is my wife and I, we went and saw Cruella last night at the movies. <laughs> I know everybody's kind of in a different spot with what's open and not open with COVID and blah, 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 blah. But here in Utah, things are pretty well back to normal open. You see people wearing masks here and there, but <laughs> other than that, that, so we went to the movie and then after eating all that popcorn, we decided we didn't really want to go out to dinner anyway. So mm. we just picked up some food on the way home. But Cruella was really good. I really liked it. I know you can get it on like the premium, what is it, early access, whatever they call it on Disney Plus if you pay for it. But it was in the theater and we wanted to get out. So so we went and we even let my father-in-law tag along. So yeah, that was fun. And so I'm going to pick that. And then I've been doing a whole bunch of work in my yard and it's been this battle with the weeds. I mean, at one point we actually ripped out, like I killed all the grass and then put new sod down and we still had weed problems. So I'm going to throw out two picks on that just regarding gardening and things like that. The first one is 
the, and I don't know what like the technical name for it is, but it's 2,4-D and you can just get it at the farm stores here. And you just put it in a sprayer that connects to the end of your hose and you spray it on your grass and it kills anything that's not grass. So it's, it's really terrific for killing off dandelion weeds and anything like that. I've heard some things about the side effects of it, but you can leave it on your grass for like two days and just tell your kids not to go on the grass and then you're good to go. So I'm going to pick that. If you're trying to get rid of the orchard grass, then you can also go pick up concentrated Roundup and use, you just get a little of that. I have a hand sprayer, you know, so you just pump air into it and it creates pressure and then you squeeze the handle and it sprays. And what you do is you just walk up to the clumps of uh, orchard grass and you just stick your nozzle right down by the root of it and you just give it a little squirt and it kills the orchard grass without killing a whole patch of your lawn. And uh, so my, my grass is actually starting to look really good. And I'm, I'm pretty happy about that. And then the last pick that I'm going to have just related to this, since I'm talking about gardening, I have, I guess, two more picks. So one is, is we got the ground up rubber mulch. So it looks like the bark or whatever that you're used to in the playgrounds. And it's rubber, it's brown. And uh, we got like two pallets of it from, from Home Depot. So anyway, it's, it's pretty nice. It's, it's pretty pleasant to walk on. It's dark colored. So if the sun's out and it's hot, it's going to be hotter walking across it. But it's pretty nice. And we're getting ready to put in the, the playhouse play area for the kids and uh, getting the trampoline up and stuff like that. So that's pretty darn nice as well. So I'm going to pick that. Lars, do you have some picks? I saved the best one for the last. Last mm-hmm. time I postponed it and uh, I had a different pick uh, for that episode. But today you're getting the real one, the important one. So I'll be sharing a link here. You can put in the show notes. This is trying to explain what it's all about. So my pick is the This Is Learning community mm-hmm. that I am currently organizing. But the, there's an event coming up, uh, a piece of news. I can't share it right now, but in two weeks time, it'll Uh-oh. be out there. Uh, so keep an eye on it. And you said we could we could discuss the, like this is Angular and this is learning more in depth some mm-hmm. other time, so so let's let's do that at some point. But what it is is a community of open learning, so it has two publications on Dev community. This is Angular and for Angular specific topics, and this is learning for everything else related to software development and and having a career or being an architect or uh, .NET or Python or so, several other things in there. So it's a place for you to publish your content. If you're a writer, anyone can join. It's about free, open content. And we're also starting some other open learning projects. We have an RxJS uh, fundamentals guide, text-based in the works. And we're also oh, working nice. on, on Angular guides, the official This Is Angular guides to different parts of, of Angular. And it's open to contributions from ev- everyone or and anyone. It's on GitHub. And we need to set up some automated uh, deployment. We'll be integrating that. We'll be continuing to, to stay on Dev community. But we're also building a website and we'll be integrating parts of, of This Is Learning into that website, but keeping keeping the articles all the important uh, uh, content on dev community because they have been really nice and they're also about um, diversity and inclusiveness and they're good at supporting uh, new writers and new publications so 
uh, the benefit of, of joining this is learning uh, is that you can you can connect with your peers. We have this private Discord server. It's uh, private only in that you ask to join and <laughs> then you come in. Uh, but <laughs> here you can you can. Uh, it's it's for people that are interested in public tech contrib contributions like open source or talks or or writing. And there will be a public part as well for people who just want to hang out. Uh, that will come later. So by joining, you you can talk to other peers and you get uh, more discoverability on Dev Community because it's a very large platform at this point. Yeah, your articles will be easier to, to find for people and it will be promoted. Um, it's more likely to be promoted when it's part of a publication. So there's no requirements on the content or quality. You're free to ask for reviews, but it's not a requirement. So it's really just a platform for you to share your content with people and learning about creating that content yourself and becoming better and then doing it out in the open so that um, many people can, can benefit from your learnings and from you, you improving uh, your skills. Awesome. That sounds very cool. Yeah, absolutely. We definitely should get you back to talk about this is learning and some of the community efforts that you're doing, because I think it's important to highlight those and let people know that they can participate in the community in more ways than just consuming the libraries that are out there. That, we, you know, the more we put into resources like that, the better off we all are. So, mm. it's all right. A, well, it's not a business. It's just a group of yeah. people. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and push us toward a wrapping up. Thanks for coming, Lars. This was awesome. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm happy to, to join to discuss other topics. All right. Well, uh, we'll definitely have you back. And until then, Max out, everybody. Peace. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.